This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, I'm Fran Garrett, Director of Global Markets, Risk, and Securities Lending at RMA. Current expected credit loss standards, or CECL, is forward-looking and broadens the range of data that must be considered in the estimation of credit losses. More specifically, CECL requires consideration of not only past events and current conditions, but also reasonable and supportable forecasts that affect expected collectability. Today, I am joined by Kevin Oden, founder and managing partner of Kevin D. Oden and Associates and managing director of RMA's Model Validation Consortium. In this installment of the monthly podcast series on credit risk and model risk management, we'll discuss the differences between allowance for loan losses or AWLL and CECL. Also the impact of the switch from CECL on modeling and the concepts, processes, or practices that may or may not exist under CECL. So Kevin, thanks for joining us. And can you explain the differences between AWLL and CECL and why the change? Thank you, Fran, uh, and thank you for uh, inviting me to the podcast. So AWLL was basically a concept of loan provisioning that dealt with the, the accounting standard of probable loss uh, or incurred loss. So as the portfolio deteriorated or as a credit deteriorated and a loss became probable, then an allowance would be made, made for it in an accounting standard. The problem, <clears throat> at least the, 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 the problem widely seen during the 2008 crisis with this type of probable or incurred loss methodology is uh, the, the notion of too little too late. So basically when, when things got bad, you would provision for things, but you wouldn't necessarily do it until, it, until, until things got bad. CECL uh, was adopted because this notion of too little too late seemed to, to exacerbate the, the problems that we saw with credit lending, uh, in particular during the financial crisis and the strength, the strength of banks. So the difference is that the, uh, the CECL or current expected credit loss uh, methodology looks to provision for uh, credit, the potential for credit losses day one. And uh, that uh, provisioning day one uh, basically changes over the life of, um, of, the, of the credit, of the loan, which is a lot different than, um, than the old uh, incurred loss methodology that uh, was in place before. Great, thanks, Kevin. And uh, with regard to financial institutions and you know, they have long calculated AWLL and have models in place to do so. How will the switch to CECL change this? And to follow up on that, uh, what is the impact on those models and what should the financial institutions consider? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. So there are a lot of techniques for 
that were in use to determine credit provisioning um, for, for various portfolios. And they tend to, to differ by this, the sophistication of the, the institution, the, the risk of the portfolio, of the size of the portfolio. But all of those tools primarily looked at historical data, current macroeconomic data to some extent to determine uh, the, prob uh, the probability of loss and the amount of loss that would be uh, incurred. With CECL, not only do we look at historical data, we also look at current data, but we also have to look forward because we're taking into account the probable loss along the life of the credit. So there's a forward-looking component, component that didn't exist uh, in the past. Uh, so you have to take into account a reasonable and supportable forecast horizon uh, and then straight line after that reasonable and supportable forecast, uh, forecast horizon to the extent of, of, of the credit's lot, uh, life. So this is a big change. And it, uh, some of the tools that we've used to, uh, to, to, to um, account for uh, L are useful, but they're still gonna have to be modified to look at what happens over that future uh, time horizon, which is going to add to the complexity of, of the modeling exercise. So the impact to modeling is the model is gonna become more complex and the institutions are gonna to have to consider where they get that historical data that's required. Some of them had it before, some of them uh, are gonna to have to get more. They're going to have to refine or, or buy or, or, or impute data. They're also going to have to look at uh, data, macroeconomic data and connect that with their portfolio data on a go forward basis. So these are exercises that, that have been done in the, uh, on, a, on an aggregate basis at many institutions, or at least the large institutions, but hasn't been necessarily brought down to a portfolio level at many institutions, uh, in particular the mid-sized and smaller institutions, uh, which are required to do CECL uh, today. So big changes uh, in terms of modeling, um, depending on the level of granularity that you're going to, to uh, bring to that portfolio. Great, and to dig a little deeper, Kevin, are there concepts, processes, or practices detailed in existing supervisory guidance on the ALLL that will continue to remain relevant under CECL? Certainly there are some. So the, the whole idea of uh, being able to, to utilize historical data to, uh, to understand the risk in your current portfolio still exists in the CECL context. Uh, it's just incorporated in, in, a, in a broader uh, notion of uh, a broader modeling concept. So that's one notion that's gonna remain the, the, the same. We need to use historical data. Uh, we need to in, incorporate that. However, we need to incorporate that in a broader framework. Uh, and certainly just like there was model validation associated with our, our ALLL models, um, that's gonna carry over. 
but uh, the the model validation exercise becomes increases in its in its complexity and its difficulty uh, because we're looking at forward-looking concepts, um, whereas that was less involved in the uh, in, you know in the, in the old framework. So there's certainly the supervisory guidance around model validation exists. The supervisory uh, guidance around having uh, a well-defined model development process, and then bringing in expert judgment, still going to be involved. It was involved in the past. It's going to be involved even more so in the future. So a lot of concepts carry over from a supervisory perspective. You still need to have be prudent in how you approach looking at your portfolio. You still have to segment your portfolio um, so that you understand uh, the idiosyncratic nature of your business versus um, uh, another bank that has uh, a slightly uh, a different asset mix. So all of those things will carry over. They do become a little more complex in some cases, and in some cases, a lot more complex, depending upon your portfolio and the, the way, the depth that you want to go into in digging down into the granularity of your portfolio. Great. And if you don't mind a more technical question, uh, considering the uncertain credit environment that we will enter into in, in 2021, will the accounting for troubled debt restructuring change, the TDRs? Well, you're asking me to uh, look out in um, what may be an unreasonable and certainly an unsupportable forecast horizon, given we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, but um, the, the answer to your question is uh, probably yes. I mean, so taking a look at TDRs today, where we are right now sitting really still in the, in the middle of the pandemic, it's already changed. Obviously, regulators have looked to, to banks to, to change how they consider what they consider a TDR, a troubled debt restructuring, uh, knowing that there is a you know, six-month moratorium on certain, um, on, on certain restructurings and, and certain defaults. Uh, that's already changed the TDR landscape a great deal because of the pandemic. And regulators have asked banks to, to be prudent in making um, that determination of whether um, a, you know, a, a debt is truly troubled. And that will certainly evolve as we get into to 2021, as we work our way through this pandemic. So the short, the short answer is absolutely TDR has already been heavily impacted by by COVID, and as we segue through uh, 2021, and with the with the vaccine um, imminent right now, we certainly expect uh, regulatory guidance to evolve on what is a TDR and how we work through those um, you know just debts right now, and whether they become troubled debts or, or we modify that definition again um, from a regulatory perspective is certainly going to happen in 2021 as we, as we work through the pandemic. All of that will also impact uh, CISO modeling. 
uh, as well, um, because data, historical data will change. We'll need to go back and take a look at uh, what is troubled debt. We'll need to take a look at uh, how we, how, how each bank handled it, in some cases on a credit by credit basis. And that will determine calibration for, for models for, for quite some time on a go forward basis. So yes, as we enter 2021, we should expect changes to TDR that will evolve. And those changes will certainly have impact modeling impacts for, for everyone. Great, so Kevin, should institutions use third-party vendors to assist in measuring expected credit losses under CECL? So it really depends on the size of, the, uh, of your teams that you have that can, can address these issues, uh, the expertise that that institution has in-house. Certainly smaller institutions uh, have less uh, in-house expertise and quite frankly, hands to, to do the work. So it's certainly um, an option and appropriate for those smaller institutions and even mid-sized institutions where there may not be that expertise to, uh, to, to do the, the work to, to use third-party vendors. It really comes down to, um, do you have the in-house expertise? Do you have the, the, the people power to, to get the work to sustain, uh, to not only get the work done, but to sustain the work over time? The other thing to, to look at is even if you're a large institution and you have a large team, it's often beneficial to bring in on occasion that third party vendor to get new insights. So it may be a, a, an expense that pays a great deal of benefit over time, uh, even if you don't continue the use of that third party vendor, but learning alternative methods, uh, getting uh, alternative um, approaches can enhance the internal uh, team as well. So often useful up and down the asset size uh, scale to, to use third-party vendors. So Kevin, to wrap up, uh, do you have any thoughts on the role of model validation with regard to CECL and even the transition over from AAAL? So as I've already mentioned, uh, it, the clear regulatory guidance that there needs to be validation of, of all models, uh, but certainly uh, a model as important as uh, a CECL model. And I highly recommend for uh, those companies that, that uh, have certainly less expertise on, on board who have not seen uh, CECL impl implementations to, to, to get those models initially validated by a third party that, that has seen a number of impl implementations across the industry. And those validations will do a number of things. So first of all, they will satisfy supervisory guidance around uh, having your, your models independently validated. But it also gives all of these institutions the opportunity to to learn uh, about um, strong validation techniques in this area. They can use those internally or they can uh, use that information to help them 
to, uh, to help them guide uh, those third parties so they could be co-sourced validations in the future. Yes, validations need to occur. It's, uh, it's not just best practice, it's, uh, it's required practice. And often third parties have a great deal of experience because they see these validation, they see these models again and again and again. Thank you, Kevin, for joining me today and for your insights. And I look forward to next month's discussion on the impact of data's role in modeling. Thank you. Thank you, Fran.